Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. Hey, good morning. How y'all doing? Are you awake? Yeah? How awesome was that worship? It was so good. I get wrecked every time I'm about to speak and they lead worship. I'm like, maybe I don't want to speak. I just want to stay here. Hey, if you're listening online, uh, welcome. We're so excited to have people that listen from all over the world. Um, If you ever miss a sermon or you want to go back and listen to it, presenceoc.org. We have them all on our website. Typically within, what, three to four days, Michael's our rock star and he gets it up for us. Um, I am super pumped to be here with y'all this morning because I am a week and a half away from delivering this baby. And it, it will not be longer in Jesus' name, okay? It will not be longer. <laughs> My doula came over this past week and she said, well, I can give you natural ways to induce labor. I'm like, give them all to me. So literally Friday, Saturday night, I had raspberry tea, spicy food, spicy salsa, acupressure, massages on my feet. Like I'm not playing around. It is time for her to come and join this family. For whatever reason, someone forgot to tell me that in your third trimester, you're supposed to like rest. Um, And so I have six days of speaking engagements this week that started yesterday. Um, So I need y'all to pray for me a whole lot this week, okay? As you're driving to work, just pray for that little white girl to give her energy. Um, It it has been just a phenomenal, exciting, faithful week in the Rowan household. Um, This little guy, as most of you know. Hey, buddy. This is our son, Rorick Isaiah Rowan. We have had him since he was about four or five weeks old. Um, He was born premature, 28 weeks, two pounds in the car. And we um, have been in the process of adopting him. And so on Wednesday, it was finalized on earth as it is in heaven. And so I just wanted to show off this cutie patootie to you guys, little Roar. See, see, hey, hey everybody. He's all, why did you take me out of kids? I was having fun. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we um, have been going through the book of John. Who has just loved, who even knows, y'all, y'all we've been going through the book of John. Yeah, some of us, okay, good. <laughs> As Chris mentioned last week, we, we will take breaks here and there when we feel prompting from Holy Spirit to teach on something else. And um, there's been a, a common theme of questions asked. Is this okay? Is this too loud? I feel like I'm like about to beatbox. We're good? Okay. Um, there's been a lot of questions asked about how this church got started and who started it and all that good good stuff, Um, and it's been done in a really humble and honoring way, but we really felt, um, I actually really felt about a month ago when we were starting the John series, that we needed to take a break at some point, preferably before I left on maternity leave, which is today, um, and and share about women, specifically in scripture, um, and women in ministry, because if you don't already know, this church was started by both men and women equally. And this church, though, is, 
is different than other places that maybe you have gone to. This church stands on what's called an egalitarian view, which is really just a big word to say that we believe that men and women in and outside of the church are equal, are equal to lead ministries, are equal to pastor and preach and teach um, in all areas within the church and outside of the church. So that's what the word egalitarian means. Um, If you didn't know that, there you go. You're welcome. Now you do know. It was really cool. Um, about a month ago, I was just sitting with the Lord, and I was actually thinking about the book of John and just thinking about our teaching series. Um, and he said, you know, Nicole, there's a theme that's been happening about uh, this women thing. You know, people will come, and if they see me preaching or teaching, they'll come up and ask, you know, lots of questions, and it's always really good. And I get asked to speak at a lot of women's conferences and women's events um, on the topic of women, specifically in the book of Timothy. Um, and the father said to me, I was like, oh, good idea, God. Yeah, we'll have one of the guys teach on that. Because, <laughs> you know, if you have a, a man in your life, or if there is a, a pastor that is leading a church like Pastor Jesse, who is championing women really well, there's liberation and freedom that is brought to all people, not just women. Amen. And so... In my church history, I've always prepped and encouraged and cheered on the men to lead um, the teaching that I'm actually going to share with you today. And so I'm sitting there, I'm actually in a coffee shop, I'm like, good idea, God, I'm going to have, you know, Chris or Jesse teach on that, it's a fabulous idea. And he said to me, in this sweet papa voice that he uses with me quite often, no daughter, you can do it. And it wasn't that I didn't think that I couldn't do it. This is what I came to California for to study uh, specific theology um, and women in ministry. And and so it wasn't that I didn't think that I couldn't share with y'all this morning, but it was almost that I wanted a different representative. And so this is super fun for me. I share all that to say to you, this is fun for me because this is the first time on a Sunday morning that I've shared what I'm going to share with you. And so... I'm already out of breath. I'm real pregnant. Y'all gonna have to deal with me a little bit this morning. I may not be here next week, so I'm gonna miss y'all. So just gather up all of Nicole that you can this morning, because uh, I know you're gonna miss me. But, but as I stand here getting ready to have a daughter, I, I want to birth a daughter that feels totally and completely free to do what God has called her to do. I don't want her to have a glass ceiling. I don't want her to feel like she can't do what he has called her to do in and outside of the church. And in the same way, as I pastor, help pastor this church, I want the women in this place to feel the same way. Complete freedom to do what God has called you to do. And that doesn't mean that we're all called to teach and preach. And that doesn't mean that we're all called to lead ministries. And that doesn't mean that we're even called to to lead volunteers. But what it does mean is that there is freedom in Christ who's liberated us all and given us all equality. Amen? So if this offends you, just wait it out till we get to the end. Come talk to me afterwards. We're going to get real, I told the rally group this morning, we're going to get real nerdy. So if y'all didn't have coffee, I'm going to give y'all a chance. Go on and get your coffee, wake up, stretch, do a little neck stretch, get your blood flowing because I really feel super passionate about this topic and, and more so passionate about understanding scripture. I am such a student. I just love studying the word of God and I love trying to completely understand what God was communicating and why we've been given this book. And so we're gonna go through 
We can't possibly go through everything this morning, but as much as we possibly can, I'm going to take us through um, a little bit of a teaching. Now, a little bit of my personal story, and in this, I'm just going to share this so that you all can connect to me if I've not yet met you. Born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, moved out to California um, eight, eight years ago to get my theology degree in Fullerton at Hope International University. I did not grow up in the church. I did not know Jesus until I was a sophomore in high school. And even then, I knew religion real well. I didn't know Papa God for a while. And I remember um, I had been given a lot of favor in the journalism area as a college student when I was studying at the University of Kentucky. And I was working for a radio station, actually broadcasted to seven states. And we would oftentimes have many celebrities come in for interviews and you know, to promo their new album or whatnot. And I kept finding myself wanting to just share Jesus with them. Because I had met my God as a sophomore in high school and as a freshman and sophomore in college, I knew that I had something that everyone else needed. I knew that I had the answer to everyone's problems. And I was very bold, maybe a little too bold. And I just kept finding myself sharing Jesus with them, which was incredible. But it began to stir something up in my heart that said, this is what you should do. This is what you're called to do. I've given you this boldness, this courageousness for a purpose, for a reason. And so I went to um, a pastor that had been a mentor of mine, and I sat down, we'll call him Joe, and I said, hey, Joe, and I didn't know what I was even saying. I said, hey, I I really just want to get together with a bunch of college students, and I want to share Jesus with them. I don't know how to do that. I didn't even know how to share the gospel accurately. I probably had a lot of heresy in what I shared. Who knows? Lord, forgive me. (laughs) But I went to him, and I said, I really feel like I'm supposed to do this. And I loved journalism. And he said to me, um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the kids ministry at the church that we were involved in, they always need volunteers. And at the time, um, I have kids now, so I like them. But at the time, I didn't want to work with kids. I wanted to meet college students face-to-face who didn't grow up with Jesus. I wanted to, to talk to the drug addicts. I wanted to talk to the people that the church had left out. And I wanted to share my Jesus with them. And I wanted to have raw conversations. I didn't want to be in the kids' ministry. Not at that point. I have great value for raising up our next generation. That is the most powerful room in this entire house. You guys want more of God? You guys want to see what he's doing? You guys want to get into what he's doing? You go serve in the kids' ministry. At the time, that's right. At the time, I just wanted to get raw and real with sons and daughters who had not known the Lord. And so when he told me this, I actually was just kind of innocent in my oblivion of not knowing that he was really telling me that as a woman, I couldn't. And so I just said, okay, well, meh, not interested in kids. I'll just keep doing the journalism thing. And for about a year and a half, my heart just kept stirring and kept stirring and kept stirring. And I was inviting all kinds of strange people to our house. The girls I lived with did not like me because there was always a stranger that I'd invite in. Like, I got something to tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. They're like, quit bringing strangers into our home. And so he just kept stirring my heart. And finally, long story short, Um, I decided to to leave Kentucky and move to California. My family were uh, not very happy with me. I left in my senior year at the University of Kentucky um, because I knew that God was calling me to something else. 
And because I hadn't grown up in the church, um, I had not seen women lead in different ways. Not even on a greeting team, y'all. Had not seen women lead from any position except for kids. And so when I moved out to California, finished school, I went on to be a missionary until I got real sick and the Lord brought me home. But as I started to apply for positions, it became a realization that not every church believed that women could lead in such a way. I remember I I was in youth ministry for seven years and I was applying for youth positions and on the application, I knew I couldn't even start to fill out the application if it said married to one woman meaning I had to be a man to even apply for the position. I'm like, can y'all just pretend and like take some female applications? But it became a real reality for me. And I just began to dig deeper and try and understand the Father's heart for what I was seeing and what I was coming up against. And I'll be really honest with y'all. If I felt, how do I say this? If I felt that God did not want women in lead positions of anything. I would not fight for it. I love him too much. I don't, I don't have anything to prove. There was a time in which I did, and I fought. And the Lord said to me, I am your defender. You don't need to defend yourself. And it was a smack in my face because I thought that I was my defender. And so I, have, I stand here before you completely pure in my heart when I say I have nothing, nothing to prove except for the reality of God's heart and what he says in scripture. And so this morning, I'm gonna walk us through three areas. If you will, actually, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Timothy 2.9. I'm gonna walk us through three areas that I think are really important for us to understand this verse. This is the piece of scripture that you've probably all heard. You've probably read through. You've not really dug in too much because the first couple times I read it, I hadn't either. At face value, it seems pretty clear what it's saying. But there is so much happening here in just like seven verses that I want us to get. And if you're too asleep this morning, y'all can go back and listen to this online later on. And I hope that this becomes a resource for any questions that you might have for your friends or family or even for a lady in your life who is feeling disempowered and not worthy of leading in which, whatever way God has called her to. So the three areas before we read the scripture is women in religion, in ancient first century religion. I told y'all we gonna get nerdy. So women in religion in ancient first century. The second area is women in socioeconomic culture. And then the third area is just women in scripture. And I promise I'm gonna try to be as passionate and as perky and as awake as I can up here to keep y'all in. It's gonna be real good, I promise. But let me read 1 Timothy 2.9. I have the HCSB version. I don't know, it was a real cute teal, so I got it. Um, Okay, 1 Timothy 2.9. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as improper for women who affirm that they worship God. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. Do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. 
For Adam was created first and Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, holiness, and good judgment. So what we need to know here, and Michael, I don't know if we have that photo of Artemis. I don't know if it'll show up. What we need to know about culture and first century religion here is that women would go to this temple and they would worship a goddess named Artemis. Everybody say Artemis. Artemis. You've probably heard of her if you've read or studied any Greek mythology. Do we have the photo? No? Maybe if you find it, throw it up. Um, She was a goddess that a lot, that's the temple. Oh, here she is. Okay, not the greatest picture, but kind of get the idea. She has a lot of circles on her. I think they are, um, I'll let, I'll leave that. Anyways, this is the goddess of fertility. And (laughs) I'm trying to think of a clever way to say that. That didn't come out. Sorry, guys. And a lot of women in first century uh, culture and religion would go to this temple and they would worship Artemis. And there was a worship out of fear. And, and what Artemis' theology was, was that if you were a woman and you ever wanted to have kids, which everybody had kids, they have no birth control. If you wanted to have children, you had to worship her in order to be saved through childbearing. Okay, so they didn't have modern medicine like we do now. Lots of women. It was a reality that a lot of women would die during childbirth. A ton, like the the percentage was like over 50% of women would die during childbirth. And so as even a young girl, seven or eight years old, it was known that you would come to this temple, which I think we have a photo of that too, this temple, and you would worship the goddess Artemis in hopes that you would be saved and not die when you had children. And part of her theology was that you needed to have plaited hair. You needed to have gold and silver and jewels weaved through your hair, and you needed to wear elaborate clothing. And guess where you bought the gold and the silver and the elaborate clothing? At the temple. They had a money-making business. They were not stupid people. But that was part of the theology, was that you had to impress her in order not to die. It was also known that that she was the first to create humankind. And it was actually the reverse creation story that we read in Genesis. She taught, her theology taught, that, that woman was born first and then man, and that man was deceived in the garden and not woman. And so it was quite backwards than the Christian theology. And so imagine you're planting a church in Ephesus in first century culture. And this is what people are known for doing. This is what the women are known to be doing. They would go to this temple every day at the same time and they would recite what's called these incantations. They would say incantations. And it's essentially like the the Pledge of Allegiance, if you will. Everybody knew the incantations. They'd go to this temple and they'd all just speak these incantations of her theology. Even from a young girl, all the women knew it. This was their God. This was their way of being saved. This was the one that they had to impress in order not to die. And so you're planting a church, you're Timothy. You're planting a church in Ephesus and this is the culture. This is what they're used to. 
And so we have Paul, who's writing a letter to Timothy, letting him know about the culture. That's what this is. But if you just read it for, you know, eye for eye, and you don't dig in and you don't understand the culture or first century religion, it's easy to look at and go, okay, women are supposed to be silent. They're supposed to be submissive. They're not supposed to speak in service or in the church or have any roles. It's easy to believe that. And I totally get that. And I don't ever blame anybody when they come to me and say, well, what about, you know, Timothy? I'm like, oh, let's sit down and have coffee and talk about it. Because it's easy to read scripture and not understand the culture or the context. In verse 9, if you'll read it with me, it says, also the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, in decency, and in good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles. Basically, what Paul is saying is he's sharing the gospel right here. He's saying, listen, have modest living. At the time when, when Timothy had started this church, there were a lot of poor people coming. There were a lot of people off the streets coming into the church. And so imagine there's all of these, I mean, just dirt, dirt, poor people. And then all these women with elaborate hairstyles and clothing and silk and gold and silver weaved throughout their hair. And so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, remind them about modest living. They don't need that for our God. They don't need that for Christian theology. They, they, they don't need to plait their hair and spend tons of money. I mean, life's, life's worth some money in order to be saved. And then in verse 10, he goes on, but with good works, it is proper for a, women, for a woman who affirm that they worship God. So don't worry about spending money just with good works in your heart. As you just worship the Lord, don't worry about putting on all this extra material stuff. It's not worth it. This is probably one of the top five misused pieces of scripture I've come across. It's probably one of the most talked about pieces of scripture in the church when it comes to, are we egalitarian? Are we complementarian? Do we believe women can lead? Can we call them pastors? Maybe we just call them directors. We don't know what we call them. Or are they allowed to do this or that? But if we just understood what Paul was saying to a church planter about the culture, about the city, that's like us having not known anything about Costa Mesa, which luckily we did, but having not known anything about Costa Mesa, and our friend writes us and says, listen, Jesse, listen, Chris and Nicole and Gus, y'all need to be prepared because Costa Mesa is awesome. <laughs> and just warning us about the city and the culture and what they're used to. Verse 11 is, is probably the biggest, the biggest one. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority. Everybody say authority, authority. over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. This is probably the biggest verse right here. This is the one that's always used when I meet with people um, that just don't quite understand yet. The word authority here is authenteo. Everybody say authenteo. That's how I make sure y'all awake. There's two definitions for authentic. The first one is domineering and to shout at. The second one is to declare one the self-author or originator of. Basically, that the woman is the author of humanity. Now, either definition that you take, whichever one you might side with, those are the, the two that, that describe this word authority here, whichever definition that you decide to side with, neither one is saying that women shouldn't speak. 
Neither one is saying that women should remain silent or not lead in any capacity. Paul's not saying that. He, he's giving two areas, domineering, shouting. These women, because they were so used to these incantations at the temple that I was sharing with, early, with y'all earlier, they would come to this church service with Timothy, poor little Timothy. They'd come to this church service, and while Timothy is sharing the gospel, they are shouting these incantations because that's what they're used to. That's how their church service was. So you got a whole group of women over here being super disruptive and shouting the theology of Artemis, this goddess. And so that's what Paul is saying right here. You should learn in silence and submission. Y'all are all learning in silence right now. I mean, I get a little amen here. Come on, girl, preach it up. Anytime you want to use that, you're welcome to. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But we all learn best as we listen, right? And so that's what Paul is explaining here in these two verses. The second area is women in um, socioeconomic culture. You probably all know this, but women were treated uh, worse than slaves at this time. The women actually didn't even sleep in the same quarters as their husbands. They slept in the quarters with the other wives and other slaves. And, you know, the ownership of women was extremely, extremely oppressive. If you didn't like what she was offering, if she, excuse me, wasn't giving you a child, you could just break that agreement and move on. Most of the men had several wives. And so the view of women and just the education of women was quite different. Greek society said that a woman, a well-respected woman would live in seclusion. Women did not travel outside of their homes by themselves, ever. That's why the woman at the well is such a scandalous story, because she's by herself. But, but as in Greek culture, you, you just didn't leave by yourself to go to the market. You took a slave with you. And because women were not educated, the slaves actually knew the, the language that was spoken, which was Greek. The women didn't. So even the slaves, because they would oftentimes do business with their masters, knew how to understand Christian theology, knew how to understand what was being said. Women just traveled along with them. And so it's important to know the culture of women at this time that Paul is writing this. So you go to a church service, you don't understand what the heck they're saying because you don't understand the language. So you get in your little circle and you chant your incantations and you hope that you're not gonna die if you're pregnant or if, you know, if you're ever gonna be pregnant and you're disruptive and it's crazy and you are totally misunderstood because the culture of women at that time was quite different. Y'all following? Does that make sense? That's why when Paul writes to the church in Corinth in, in uh, chapter 14, um, he says, women should keep silent in church. If she desires to learn, let her ask at home. Paul, I think Paul was actually an advocate for women. He, he was giving them an opportunity to go home and learn. That verse is so phenomenal because he says, hey, just, just sit there, be quiet. You're gonna have questions because you don't know what the heck is going on, what we're saying. Go home and ask your husbands. Basically, go home and learn. Women did not have an education. They didn't learn. So for Paul to say, just keep quiet in chapter 14, go home and ask your husbands what's going on. Go home and ask them to explain to you what was said in church was huge. 
I mean, that went against everything that culture said for Paul's time. That was a very bold thing to suggest for that culture. I mean, crazy bold, especially with the oppression of women and the education. The third area is women in scripture. We see lots and lots of women in scripture leading. And it bums me out when I hear people say, well, you don't see any, any woman leading without a man in scripture. And that's not true, not from my study. And I'm open for, for questions. We have Lydia in the book of Acts who led a church in her home by herself. We have Priscilla who was a teacher of theology. She was known for being extremely intelligent. She did work alongside her husband. However, when she is talked about in scripture, she is put before her husband, which isn't typical. The man would be put before the woman, but she's put before her husband. We have Junia who get this. She was a female apostle and somewhere along the way, as somebody was helping um, write the Bible, they decided they did not like that she was a woman. And so they changed her name to Junius. So you'll probably, maybe some of your translations will say Junius instead of Junia. It was actually a woman. There were women that taught and led and just did incredible, powerful things because God had told them and led them to. There are women in the Old Testament. Deborah, she's one of my favorite Deborah's incredible. She was a judge. She, she was a prophet. She was a leader of the nation. She was the president and the pope, y'all. She had it going on. Seriously. She had a voice that changed generations. Without Deborah, holy moly. Man, she, powerful, powerful woman. I'm gonna kind of wrap up with, with this. I believe that God created man and woman to complement each other, not to be against each other. We're not to lord over each other. I don't lord over my husband. He doesn't lord over me. Peter is very specific about men not lording over, becoming with a selfless faith to their relationships. And so I, I don't stand here before you as a crazy feminist and say, women need to lead everything. That is not the case. I am a Jesus feminist. If y'all haven't heard of that book, you need to read it. It's awesome. I got in trouble one time at a church because I read that and suggested it anyways. <laughs> y'all, I have been, let me just be real for a second. I have been kicked off of so many ministry teams. I have been asked to leave churches I have been denied of positions that I was well qualified for because of my gender. But let me tell you something. I don't stand before you today upset. I don't stand before you today bitter. I stand before you today joyful and excited that my God is faithful. And I don't have to listen to what anyone around me says as long as I just remember what he has said. And so that is for you as well. There will be positive people, there will be mentors in your life that may give you a compliment or may you know, um, cheer you on for something that God has not called you to. You just have to remember what God has called you to do. And nothing will stand in the way, not even the gates of hell, right? Can tear it down. And so I, I love, I still have great relationships with a lot of these, uh, people in ministry that I've worked with and I've had some awesome conversations 
and I bless them and I love them and I'll send them my sermons. I'm like, hey, look what I did. (laughs) But I love them and I'm not mad about it. And and I just want to speak to the ladies. Actually, if you are a lady and you're over here or in the back, actually, I want y'all to come because we're going to do something really cool in a minute. I want y'all to come over here in the seats. I'm going to call y'all out. Y'all better walk over here. Oh, no, you guys are good. You guys are good. Just over here, if you're a lady over there or in the back, y'all can be super blessed if you just come over to the chairs. My prayer is that as this church grows, that we would just study the Word of God with such a passion, that we wouldn't be afraid of Scripture, but that we would dig into it knowing that it is the Word of God and that we would partner with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in all things. And men, if that was super boring for y'all, I'm sorry, but this is such good information for you. I'm telling you, this is such good information. This will change the way that you treat your marriages. This will change the way that you work with people in the workplace. Even our culture today, there's things that we just pick up on that isn't quite right. We need to look at each other as sons and daughters of the King, fully redeemed and capable. Fully redeemed and capable. I'm gonna have um, Jesse come up here. I'm actually, I'm gonna do a little commission and then he's gonna do something amazing. Okay, it's going to be awesome. But I just want to read this commission that I wrote for the ladies in the room. And then Jesse's going to kind of take over. If you're a lady and if you want to put your hands out in a receiving position, yeah, I just want to read this over you. If you want to shut your eyes, just like focus on the Father, it'd be awesome. Sisters, I commission you I commission you in the name of Jesus. I commission you to pray for healing, to preach the gospel, to look at sons and daughters in the eye and remind them that their father is a good, good father. I pray that you will cook for the ladies' events and prophesy over the men in the church. I hope that you will forgive those who have hurt you or told you that you are not able. I ask that you approach every conversation with grace and love and freedom that when you get knocked down, pass over, or stepped on, that you would stand up, wipe the dust from your feet, and continue on in the name of Jesus. Your worth does not come from your vocation. It does not come from your degree. It does not come from the fact that you can preach or even teach. Your worth comes from the Father. It doesn't come from what others say of you or even the amount of pats on the back you receive. Your worth is deeply, deeply rooted in Christ Jesus who died for you and said, it is finished. So stop silencing yourself. Don't pass up that opportunity because you haven't felt validated. Stop waiting for someone to promote you. Quit holding your heart back from your God-given dreams and desires. I say this to you, therefore go. Make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dance around the church and bask in his glory. Preach, teach, lead missions trips, feed the poor, serve, prophesy, serve in kids, minister, clean your kitchen, care for your children, start a business. Whatever you do, do it all with love in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.